This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Manchester's indie rock and roll station Access Manchester The Access Manchester Long Player An iconic album in full With Jim Salverson Access Manchester Hello I'm Jim and welcome to the Access Long Player Classic albums discussed with the people who made those albums It's a special one today As I talk to Andy Williams from Doves About the last broadcast The second album from the band And an album that has just at the time of putting out this podcast Celebrated its 20th anniversary Released back in April of 2002 Can't quite believe that was 20 years ago It was a hugely successful album for the band. It got to number one in the album's charts and also spawned their still highest charting single to date in There Goes the Fear. I really enjoyed this chat with Andy. He talks about the making of the album, why one of the song titles on the album is wrong and how this was an LP that helped change perceptions of the band. If you like what you hear, make sure you check out the back catalogue of Excess Long Players. Loads of brilliant people talking about their brilliant albums. So go and check it out and enjoy this. Andy from Doves talking about the last broadcast. How you doing, Andy? Good, thanks. Good, thanks. How are you? I'm really good, Tart. Now, I've mentioned that I'm doing this interview to a couple of people and explain the context behind it that the last broadcast is 20 years old this year and the reaction in general has been nah mate <laughs> nah it's not 20 years old does yeah, it feel that long ago it, you made it yes and no i guess mm. yeah i mean i'm really surprised it's that long ago but yeah a lot's happened i guess in that in that interim but yeah it's certainly in a lot of ways it doesn't feel like 20 years do you still connect with the songs on the album after all this time do they have the same meaning as they did 20 years ago to you now when you look back at them yeah i mean i guess like a lot of musicians don't really tend to play back old records you know it's kind of which works so hard on a on an album which we did this and all of them afterwards you you just you, you just you don't apart from playing live you don't really want to listen to them again i mean it's nice if you hear them on the radio or whatever and you, you know you were i'll listen then and it will take me back to that time but actually the first time i did listen to the record was in lockdown when we did tim burgess's you know the listening party i would listen to it from start to finish and it was like yeah it was quite yeah quite emotional really because i hadn't listened to it from start to finish since we did it and yeah I, yeah i was pleasantly surprised yeah that and i still did connect to the songs you know most yeah. of them anyway when you sat down and listened to it for the listening party, were there moments that caught you off guard during it, sort of things that jumped out of the album that maybe you 
that kind of took you right back to those studio sessions or that you didn't remember doing or anything like that? Yeah, yeah, it was a few times. Like, um, just stuff you totally forget about. But, yeah, just, uh, I think, being in Jimmy's living room. He was in Northern, and him and Jazz were in Northern at the moment, mm. which kind of comes into the album, actually, because we recorded, well, we certainly wrote it all pretty much in Northern at Jazz's studio. He had a little studio in his terrace house there, and we wrote most of it then. But um, we used to sort of bob between Jimmy and Jazz's house. We were, like I said, we were both in Northern. But, uh, yeah, the Sulfurman, I just remember... Us all had a title. I remember having a title, The Sulfurman, but I didn't have any lyrics. And we had most of the music done for it. But um, I just remember being in this front room. We all, uh, it was nothing of any big consequence, but I just remember us all trading lyrics between each other, you know, and it was one of those times where it really flowed between, in terms of lyrics, generally lyrics. Mm. One of us would go off and write them and then we might sort of collaborate a little bit. But this was pretty, The hot, all the lyrics was a total collaboration. And we got it done in an afternoon. And yeah, I just remember it was like, you know, we sat there having a coffee, got, you know, some biscuits, got through it, got through the whole song, happy with it. Right, let's go to the Farms Arms pub. <laughs> yeah, just the incidents like that. And maybe a couple of, yeah, memories of Real World. We, we mixed a couple of tracks at Real World in Bath. That's Peter Gabriel's gaff. And just some, yeah, some really good times at the end of the record. Yeah, I guess it did, you know, raise a few cool. memories want to drill down into a couple of the songs in a bit also i want to talk about that northern connection shortly but in general i mean it's a cliche to say difficult second album but it's a cliche because quite often it's true and i think it can be a challenge not least because of the time that you get to write a second album compared to your first album yeah. but also because there's quite often a change in dynamic for the band now for the second album i seem to remember you got into the studio pretty much straight off the back of the Lost Souls tour. There wasn't much gap between right. them. So how True. prepared were you at the point when you got into the studios? Did you have songs ready to go? Was it a blank sheet of paper? No, there were a couple of songs. I think Jez had started uh, What Became, There Goes the Fear. And there might have been a couple of other songs, but mm. it was without doubt our fastest album to make. You know, the albums like Some Cities, which took like four years. This really, for, for us was a fast record. I know it was still like a year, year and a half, but for us, that was quite fast. So yeah, but other than that, I think we were just, we were really buoyed by the, how well Lost Souls had done really. Mm. I think that was like the main thing going into this record. We were kind of feeling a lot more hopeful and thinking, you know, actually beginning to think we could maybe, this could be our full-time job. We don't have to get other jobs, <laughs> which was a, was a nice thing to, to face really, because, um, Lost Souls was really tricky making. Uh, it was a really tricky record to make, and there was some certainly some dark days on that on that record. Mm. But this this was fast, and we were at the wind in our sails. We, you know, we'd been around the world a couple of times touring Lost Souls. You know, I had some unbelievable times. So you know, I guess it was some kind of sort of wind in our sails, really, which um, we carried through on the recording. I've heard Jimmy say in previous interviews that when you went into the studio, you had this determination as a band to change the perception, change how people saw you. Why yeah. was that? I think we got the usual thing of uh, miserable northerners. <laughs> or miserable bin men, to be precise. Remember that. <laughs> <laughs> so was this kind of an attempt to do something yeah, a, bit more upbeat, a bit more anthemic? I wouldn't say anthemic. No, we never really intentionally tried to make a track anthemic. Uh, it's nice if people connect with it and, mm. uh, you know, a few people do and maybe that becomes an anthem. But, yeah, we want to make a, a brighter record. We want to try and surprise people, I guess. So, yeah, I think we were just feeling brighter ourselves, really. 
you know, you know, you know, for most of the record, not all of the record, there were kind of, you know, you know as always, you know, a year and a half in anybody's life, there's going to be good and bad times. But on the whole, we, we were feeling really um, buoyed by it all and really just um, we, we can make a living doing this. Mm. Isn't that great? So you mentioned the Northern thing earlier and the fact you were still in Manchester. Album number one was recorded out in Cheetham Hill, I think. And then you went yes. into centre Manchester to record this album. Was that a deliberate conscious thing to keep it in the Northwest, to keep it in Manchester? Because in the early noughties, when this was being made, the industry was still pretty London centric. And other artists I've spoken to said the record labels wanted them to go to London where the producers and the studios were. Did you get that same temptation and was it a deliberate thing to go, no, we're staying in Manchester, we're staying where our roots are? Yeah, I think we had, you know, quite an understanding record company at the time. Uh, I mean, actually, we've always been quite lucky in that regard. We always worked with um, people who get it and, and give it, gave us a you know, massive amount of kind of creative freedom. But uh, we were working with Henley Records at the time and that was um, Jeff Barrett and Martin Kelly. And they got it and they, you know, left it up to us, really. So they'd never really pressurised us to, to go to London. They, um, you know, as I say, we did, you know, certainly all the demos in Jez's little place in Northern. And I guess, you know, when we started delivering the demos, they could, they could see the bigger picture and see that, you know, well, we sort of knew what we were doing. <laughs> um, so there was no, you know, there was, I, I, there was one song, actually, sorry, where we, which we did struggle with. Sorry, two songs, actually, where we did work with Steve Osborne, a producer, where we couldn't crack, you know, we, there were good songs. It was Caught by the River, yeah, and Satellites. So were good songs, yeah. but we just lost our way a little bit with them. So they suggested for those two songs that we work with Steve as like a co-production and go to Real World. But by this point, we'd broken the back of the album. We'd had most of it done. So it was like, you know what? Let's go and have some, you know, nice catering and some nice food at the <laughs> studio down down near Bath because we deserve it. And it was a really good move in the end because he really, you know, we cracked those songs with him. What did um, he bring to that process? What did Steve Osborne? Because he would have at that point he would have worked with Mondays. I think he would have worked on some significant Manchester albums. So he had a reputation in this city. So what was he bringing to the process at that point? It's a sort of clarity of thought, really. And just um, we'd actually worked with him on one song on Lost Souls on Catch the Sun. And that that song, again, was a really uh, tough song for us to crack. And he heard it live. I remember hearing that song live and he's going, right, you just need to record it how you're playing it live. We were kind of like going around the houses a bit with it and go, no, it can't be. You know, we want to do something different than live. We want to break it down. Maybe add a drum machine and stuff. And he just he just came through with clarity of thought, said, no, no. I think he heard like... Um, we did a session on Steve Lamac on mm. um, Radio One where we did that song. And um, he, he was like, no, that, we need to get it like that. We need to, you know, record that energy. And he, he was very much encouraged us to try and play live in the studio rather than tracking. And uh, yeah. Uh, so again, with Satellites and Caught by the River, especially Caught by the River, he really encouraged us to do as much live as possible and just brought an energy to it. And yeah, he's very musical as well, uh, Steve. And I think we learned quite a bit off him, actually. I want to talk about a couple of your highlights off the album shortly, so I'm hoping you're going to pick a couple of tracks for us to sort of dig into, but there's a couple that I wanted to mention before we do that. One goes back to the Northern thing, and it's the M62 song, and I was browsing Wikipedia before I did this chat and noticed that, according to Wikipedia, the M62 song was recorded under the M62 flyover in Northenden. Now, 
that can't be true because there isn't an M62 <laughs> flyover in Northern. <laughs> but right. what, what element? We got it wrong. We got it wrong. <laughs> okay, it so was, was the M60 flyover? Okay, so it was recorded under the flyover, but the title the, the was, wrong. was yeah, and some of the guitars were yeah, and we but we just got the wrong motorway. It sounds better M62 song than the M60 song. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, 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 yeah. It, it was only later we thought, oh, somebody told us. I think Dave, our manager, was like, uh, you know, you know, because you know, he lives in Northampton as well. Mm. He was like, uh, you know, the, the way you um, recorded under, it's not the M62, it's the M60. <laughs> by this point, it had already sort of gone to be printed up, the uh, labels, and we're like, all right, well, M62 song it is. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, uh, the other one I wanted to talk about is one of the most well-known songs on the album there goes the fear and one of yeah. my favorite bits of any song in the world ever actually is the what i used to call the monkey noise at the end of it and i found out <laughs> recently from a south american friend is actually an instrument called a acousia i think who brought that to the table who went here's an idea here's how we're going to end this song because it's really difficult in my head i i imagine a lot of these songs would have had to start on an acoustic guitar that's kind of how most songs get their genesis but to go from that to go from something big and grand, whether it's got strings on it or brass or yeah. acousia, that must be a really difficult process. Yeah, to, to, to pull off, it can, yeah, we've, we've tried it, not particularly with like a, a samba band, but we've tried with other things and we haven't pulled it off. Just luckily this time we, we did. I can't remember exactly who thought of that. Possibly Jez, mm. possibly said, you know, I think the idea was like almost, you know, like somebody who's DJing and bringing in quite juxtaposed music really from what what's been before and that would have been the idea i guess with jazz and we were just lucky it kind of worked jimmy knew uh, he had a good friend called mark Starr, who's um old friend of his and ours and he's he he, he works for samba groups or brazilian groups and so he knew people who who, who you know the, those musicians so it was just a, call, a phone call to him and um i think we recorded it in the um the fire escape at uh, Greenhouse, this is an old rehearsal studio in Stockport called Greenhouse, and he used to have this big fire escape. Uh, yeah, we did the drums down there on a kind of like, I don't know, Tuesday evening or something, a rainy Tuesday evening. And it just, we were like, right, this is working. Did you enjoy exploring the spaces around the studio as much as the studio? You talked about recording in a fire escape there. You mentioned the flyover under the M60 earlier. Is that, was that yes. kind of part of what the band did? You looked at different ways of making music. I think just to try and have some fun with it. I think the, the under the motorway thing is we when we went when we went to real world, we heard a story of uh, Griff from Super Furry Animals recording a vocal out on a boat on the lake for Super Furry Animals, and we're like, oh, that's really cool, you know. So we're like, well, we'll try and do our version of that. And um, I think I think the song M sixty two song did have sample of some cars going by, and we were just like, I was just like, well, why don't we just try that and see how it works. But yeah, yeah, just to try and keep, it's definitely something we've always tried to do is move around quite a bit, really. Mm. You know, it's easy kind of to get a bit stale if you're in the same studio all the time. And, you know, it can just disrupt things if you go to a totally different location and just mix it up a bit. It's uh, something that's always um, benefited us, even to this day, really. Just keep on moving. You just get like, um, you know, fresh ideas and get inspired all over again, you know. Pick me a couple of highlights off this album for you, Andy. Well, I say highlights. They can be lowlights. They can be just memories, little bits you remember that are connected to certain tracks. What, what would you like to kind of pick out of the last broadcast? Okay. Well, funny, I was going to, well, I was going to mention M62 but, um, okay. and The Fear. But, uh, yeah, I guess I remember the, There Goes The Fear. I remember, I mean, it's maybe not 
a personal memory, but I remember this, the label, Heavenly, suggesting, because it was the first single off the album, they're suggesting, right, we're going to put this out, but we're going to delete it on the day that it's released. Mm. And was, we were all like, what? Are you mad? You know? <laughs> One day, what? So you, the second day you can't get hold of them and said, yeah, we're just going to delete it. Yeah, I just remember us all thinking, they were, you know, they were mad about that one. But they were right. Yeah, they're right. It, it was a gamble, mm. a real gamble. And I don't, I don't know if these days that sort of thing would work at all, but uh, it did. It really worked. It really created a kind of um, a bit of a buzz at the time. And the people who were into the bands, you know, all went out on that first day and got it. And mm. uh, it just created a bit of a kind of um, a buzz. You did a similar thing with Pounding and Caught by the River as well, didn't you? I don't know whether they were deleted on the same day, but it was certainly limited edition releases. Was it purely that? Was it to create a buzz? Or was it to push early sales and trying to get that chart position? Or was there something a little bit more arty behind it and kind of a little bit more free thinking? I'd like to say it was a bit more arty, but probably not. <laughs> probably more commerce, really. I don't know, really. I mean... It was I think it, it was I think it was a, a genuine attempt for from the label to create some excitement round round us coming back after mm. Lost Souls. So yeah, I don't think there was anything kind of artistic in it really. Just <laughs> more records, basically. <laughs> well, like you say, it worked. God, is there another uh, track or highlight off the album you'd like to flag up? I guess Satellites. We did that one with Steve Osborne and. That was touch and go, whether it was, we were going to make, it was going to, you know, such a fine line sometimes with songs, whether they're going to make it or not. It generally happened with, with us, if one of us gets a downer on the song, it never ended up on the record. So I, I like, you know, we knew, we knew it was a good song, but we were starting to kind of get a bit, a bit stale on it, really. And that's when it was suggested we work with Steve. And I think... Steve helped us with the intro, which were these kind of really crunched up claps and these stomps. We did, I remember doing like foot stomps in the studio and we got that kind of bit of a, you know, the intro on it, which is kind of very crunchy, you know, percussive hand claps. And that to us really kind of um, helped the song start off in a less traditional way. Again, I think what he brought to that, to that track was, was, was really good. He, you know, insisted on a lot of live takes in there. He, he created some magic in in the, in the studio in terms of recording sounds and yeah, so good memories of that. And we were at Real World again, just good times. You know, we, it was like towards the end of the album, it was almost done, and we had the late comer of Pounding. That was the last song we did on the record. That was another good memory that came really late that we thought the album was done. And then what came uh, first with that song? Was it the the because I always listen to that and think it's the most perfect title for that record and the way it starts and it comes in and it's kind of, the title's very descriptive of how that tune yeah. feels. Was it a case of you went, well, we've got this tune and these lyrics suggest this, so we're going to give it that feeling in the music or how did that kind of form from... Yeah, well, the title, no, the title was from the demo when there was no lyrics. Okay. And um, obviously wrote the lyrics, I think it was a bit of collaboration on the lyrics. And I remember... Ha- us having a meeting and we were you know talking through the track listing we we're like oh no we can't, can't call it pounding Nah, i mean you know in the chorus it says now or never or you know there's other lyrics we can't, mm. can't call it pounding and then dave our manager and jeff barrett and it was like no no it's really just it's, it's descriptive it's you know mm. it's not a lyric in the song so yeah that's just we went with it really and yeah it's kind of weird how titles become their own thing really because you know obviously it gets quite used quite a lot on the football now and obviously the song has got absolutely nothing to do with football, but just because of that title, Pounding, it's still getting used, still getting used at Man City every mm. week, you know? So that's something I'm eternally grateful for, you know? 
Now, this is, I mean, critically a hugely successful album for you. It was nominated for the Mercury Music Prize, just lost out to Miss Dynamite in the end, commercially a really successful album. But when you look back on it, when you look at the body of your work, be it Doves or be it the other bands you've been in, artistically, would you say this was your most successful album? No, no, I kind of, um, I think it, I don't, I don't want to sound, you know, a big edit, but I do think each album we've done has had its own character. And mm. I, for me personally, obviously other people are going to totally disagree and everyone's got their own. For me, each record has its own character and has its own place, really. I don't see, I don't see really albums in, when it's you, you, your own records. I don't see them in isolation, really. I see it as hopefully, you know, a body of work, I guess, you know. Yeah. And, and it's always been about the long term with with us really mm. and uh, trying to try and attempting to try and make music sometimes successfully and sometimes not that it's going to kind of last really yeah so it's all i don't see one record in particular being better than any other and i know loads of people will disagree with that because i know a lot of people love the first album a lot of people love the second album but then i hear people have you know some cities and people like the last one mm. you know so yeah anyway sorry very long long answer to your question <laughs> i get exactly art's an objective thing isn't it it's like you yeah not everyone has to like the same stuff people can have favorites it's completely all right you don't have to judge one thing against the other necessarily because things can be brilliant in their own right yeah that's the joy of it that's the joy of it you know i mean i, I know why people do you know i do my favorite buttons so oh, yeah that's my favorite album by them you know it's obviously a natural thing but i think we're just looking at your own work you know, I either songs which have not worked, I never want to hear again, you know, especially from a previous band. <laughs> so, you know, there's a couple of things where we took massive missteps. But generally, you know, I'm pretty pleased with each, not that I sit around listening to them, but I know, you know, I know, you know, I'm, I'm kind of pleased, you know, with, with each record. And, uh, and it was like the best we could do at the time, you know. We've never those gone, oh, that'll do, wash mm. it out. You know, we're up against the, the clock here. We've always were quite thorough, really, that all three of us had to go, yeah, yeah. Andy, pleasure to speak to you about the last broadcast, which I know for a lot of people is a much-loved album inside and outside Manchester. 20th anniversary, can't quite believe it. Hopefully there's plenty more to come from Doves in the future, so we'll keep our eyes and ears peeled for when and where that happens. But thank you very much well, for your well, time well, with on the Excess Long Player. Been a pleasure. Thanks, Mum. <laughs> The Excess Manchester Long Player, an iconic album in full with Jim Salverson. Excess Manchester. If that hasn't made you want to go back and listen to the last broadcast in full, then I don't know what will. Awesome chat with Andy about that classic album from Doves. And if you want to check out the other podcasts in the Excess Long Player series, there are loads more to go at, particularly if you're a fan of Manchester music, because there's more than that city's fair share of albums featured so far in this series also if you like what you hear do hit subscribe and do leave a review as well because it really helps other people find this podcast have a good one and i'll see you soon for another excess long player the excess manchester long player an iconic album in full with jim salverson excess manchester